Bill, it is down to the wire. Our time on this. <laughs> what am I trying to say? We're almost I, going to our Patreon world, I, right? I, I, I hope that's it because it yeah. sounds awful final. Do you know something about my health or safety that I don't know, Rob? No. All I know is that you've got one of the best t-shirts on. I do. I've ever seen. That's right. I have gone to our very own online store and bought one of our very own Bill and Rob's and Excellent Adventure t-shirts, and I love it. High and I'm quality. Not just, yeah, it's a great shirt. I've worn it a bunch. I've had it a few weeks now, so I really like it. I, I like the store. I especially like the fact that we got a lot of colors to pick from because I have a ton of t-shirts, of course, but you know, you get tired of just blues and blacks and the standard stuff, so I got this really cool burgundy. Yes. It really brings out your eyes. Does it? Yes. Uh, that's nice. I thought it might bring out my flush red cheeks from being so tired because it's the end of the week, but <laughs> hey, I'll take any compliment I could get. Hell yeah. Um, Bill, last episode we had put out was Escape from L.A., and at the beginning of that episode we had done an intro much like this one, reminding people, or I guess now we're reminding people, but then we told them we were... Pivoting to Patreon, which we are here to let you know the time is almost up. That's what I was going to say of these, like, just thrown to the masses free episodes out to the public, or at least the consistency of what we once threw to the public, because we got to start paying some bills, man. And we also want the freedom to do more than podcasts. That's true. And there's no doubt about it. Anything that you do, whether it's for a hobby or for a job, one thing's consistent is quality. And of all the things we do and all the things we will do, we like to put out a quality product, good sound, good look, good editing. And, you know, that takes a little bit of money. And if we were going to do it on the cheap, you and I would just call each other on the telephone and that would be the end of that. And that would be cool too, but we have Hell. a great time doing this, so we want it to be the best we can, and we need to make sure that it is a, a return on our time investment, so Patreon seems to be the best choice, and we're going to do it. Yeah, so you'll be able to go to BillAndRobs.com or Patreon.com slash BillAndRobs and join for the low price of $5 a month to get all of our future podcast episodes, all of our video episodes, any sort of fun hangs that we decide to put in there. We, we might do movie watch-alongs. We might do uh, curated lists of movies you guys should watch. But the best part that, I, you know, we came up with this last time. Not, we, we didn't come up with this, but we were talking about this last episode. I think the best part is that it's a one-stop shop for all communique. Yes. You know? Absolutely. Uh, you don't have to go on Twitter. You don't have to go on Facebook. You don't have to go on Instagram. Like, we will have our own accounts up to promote on social media when a new episode drops but if you want to communicate you want to be part of the club you can just go there every episode has its own chat scenario <laughs> has its own comment board i should say yeah and that is a big drawing point for us and for me personally because internet's a big wild place so we will be able to be seen in those other places but if you want to go get the stuff and be part of communicating with us, go to Patreon, go to our page. It's going to be great. And I can guarantee you, you will hear a lot of people say this because there's a lot of people making content and a lot of Patreon accounts. You will get your $5 a month. There will be more in there than $5 would probably get you anywhere else. So <laughs> that's, that's true. just, we're, because we have such a good time, we have a great time, and we want your involvement. We want you to come hang out, talk to us, and having that page and having that... Rob and I want to do so many things, but we yeah. can only record so many pods about yeah. so many movies so quickly, but sometimes we just got to talk about some stuff or have a little yeah. bit of fun, and that's where we're going to go do it. So if you remember Sold in the Room, our old Twitch show, a lot of elements from that will probably be there. We're just going to have a great time, and we really want to develop some friendships uh, with some new listeners over there. So we hope everybody comes and checks it out. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say, Bill, is that, you know, we really like doing this. Right, you know, we like making this show. And I think it has the potential to be more than 
just our series on Marvel or Predator or Planet of the Apes, which is already in the can and ready to launch on the Patreon. So why not create a scenario where we can expand that world, you know? For sure. I Just thinking about having this platform and what it can do, I've come up with some ideas that I think are fun for things that could be put on there. And I'm reminded of a couple of things like our old bits on the show about this versus that, or, you know, fun conversations we had, the bracket games that we had to be able to do some interesting stuff and to hopefully get all of you involved and see your own creative stuff and join in with some things. I'm really looking forward to this. It's got me really excited for the future. And I'm with you, Rob, to be fair and let everybody know, this has been a stressful week for me, my other job and stuff that's been going on. I got a lot doing it. And I was super tired until about 10 minutes ago. But whenever I we fire up the mics and I talk to you, I always feel better. And hope that comes through in the recording. I think it does. And I think that's why we have such a good time. So hopefully everybody, please come and check out our Patreon when it's all said and done. I think you're just going to have a great time, period. Yeah. You can click the link in our show notes of this episode and be one of the first people to call yourself a producer of Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. Because when you put your money where your mouth is, put yourself as a producer on your LinkedIn page. We don't care. You're helping support this. You're helping produce this show. So patreon.com slash Bill and Rob's or billandrobs.com and help us out today. We really appreciate it. All right, Bill, should we... Should we uh, crack the champagne bottle against this episode's boat? I think so. Let's launch this episode down the causeway to a big old splash of a premiere. Welcome to Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. I'm Bill Tilly. And I am Rob Schulte. And Bill, we're in that interim era of our show. We're not quite doing a series. We're not quite ready for our next series. But we need to fill the time. And much like today's film, it's all about what do we do to get to that next goalpost And so we had to bring in a guest, you know, uh, uh, the other 50% of piloting error who, for one reason, we've said, no, you're not allowed to be on the show, but your (laughs) co-host can be on the show multiple times. Multiple times. It's Stu. Hey, Stu. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, I think we're just afraid to have that much awesome in one spot. They'll just blow me and Rob right out the door. (laughs) Just like a, just like an actual airplane disaster movie. And it just, that's it. Next thing you know, Heston's coming through the hole and it's Stu come to save the day. Yeah. Well, our uh, podcast does begin with a plane crash every time. So that (laughs) does tend to turn people off. Love it. I love it. I think it's great. It reminds me every time I take a flight, I sit in my seat and I always watch an airplane disaster movie just to try and see if anybody ever notices. <laughs> the podcast, as well as uh, the hosts, are very avant-garde. Oh, and we have to. We have to. Under, we're just living in Stu and Joe's world. You know what <laughs> I was thinking? You know, Stu, you chose the Stone Age for us to watch. And before I did. we get into the nitty gritty of it, are the Joe and Hubs? Stu and Joe? No. Uh, oh, okay. I didn't even uh, no, that's no, that's terrible. Please. Yeah. So so you're not hubs to Joe's Joe. No, uh absolutely not. No, um I would say you know, Joe and I our partnership is a classic partnership. We are the opposite pretty much in every single way except for uh you know, the things that we find funny and that we uh value, I think. 
Um, yeah. And that is the perfect kind of partnership, I think. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, let's talk a little bit about the media that we've consumed through our, our years before we talk about the Stone Age. Sure. Obviously, anyone who's listened to our podcast has most likely listened to Piloting Error, the episode so. you, me, and Bill did on Generation X recently was in our feed, so they had to have at least heard that episode. There's something fun about like media of a bygone era or canceled media, and mm-hmm. not like, not capital C canceled social media style, but in the like this only had ten viewers, cancel it, cigar chomping executive style. So, Stu, walk us through your like what what you grew up watching, what you normally watch, the Stu Media Brain. So, I grew up uh, with television as a babysitter. So, I watched mm. pretty much whatever was on cable. Cable, uh, a lot of cartoons, a lot of Saturday morning cartoons, a lot of Nickelodeon for stuff like this movie uh, that that I chose for this. Uh, I used to watch a lot of uh, USA Up All Night. Hell yeah. I don't know if you guys remember that with Gilbert oh, yeah. Godfrey. I think Rhonda Shear did Friday night and Gilbert Godfrey did Saturday night. If yeah, I'm... they split duties, I think. <laughs> you just couldn't ask them to do both weekend nights. No. It just... no. <laughs> yeah, I watched a lot of USA. I mean, I loved Duckman. Yes, yes. One of my favorite shows. Duckman uh... and uh, Weird Science were like the two <sighs> pair. They paired together. Yes. Yes. It's so And good, Weird yeah. Science, the TV show. Right. Such a weird, very weird stretch, though, from the television or from the movie because mm-hmm. they had to reset each episode like a sitcom does. Sort of had to come up with different things to wish for the genie to create for them. Yeah. Uh, she, she gained like magical. I guess she had magical powers in the movie, too, but they were they were extended a lot more for the TV show. Bill, did you ever watch Weird Science, the TV show? I did watch it, and uh, it comes to me that we're, as we're discussing it, the, the USA Network at the time was like the yard sale toy of television, where yeah. if you win, it's like, hey, this is a cool G.I. Joe toy. Of course, it's a plane that's missing one wing, and it's canopy, <laughs> and part of this, most of the stickers are gone, but, you know, you, it's good enough. And It'll I think complete that's my Hoth set. Yeah, like, you know, Airwolf, it's been mm-hmm. canceled and we don't have the helicopter anymore. And the USA is like, we can work with that. You know, <laughs> we'll take it to Canada. We'll do season four. No, you shouldn't do things like that. But they did. And I watched all of that stuff. So Yes. Well, I specifically remember in that era watching The Stone Age. I don't think I ever watched the movie from beginning to end, but in that same sort of idea of, Oh, this is kind of a raunchy movie. Maybe there's a boob. Maybe there's drug culture. Uh-huh. Maybe there's like, you know, as a suburban kid, like maybe I can vicariously live dangerously through watching this movie. But I had never watched it from beginning to end until this episode. <laughs> Yeah, like I actually, I encountered this at like a blockbuster when I think I was 16 years old. And I was, we were actually looking for a bad movie to watch. Oh, wow. Uh, And uh, I just kind of recently been introduced to bad movies. But this was, and this was, uh, and and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to share with you guys was this was one of the first really bad movies that I thought was just something special. Uh, Because there's just, (laughs) there's so much, like at every at every point in this movie, it's like, what, what are they thinking? Like this is, it's like, it's written by someone who's never talked to kids, who doesn't know what teenagers do, um, or how people interact with each other normally. It's yeah. And, uh, I actually, I watched it with my wife. We watched it twice together. Oh, <laughs> you wow. It. And you're still married. Or? <laughs> I, well, I kind of, uh, she forgot what we were watching the, you know, she'd forgotten it until we got about halfway through it the second time. She was like, oh, yeah, I remember why I hated this. But <laughs> she pointed out it's not like it's written like it by an alien. It's more like it's written by a 14 year old who's trying who's like Ugh. telling other 14 year olds about, you know, what older kids do. <laughs> that is so true. And it is 
I don't know, Bill, you're a little bit older than us. And I, I hate to show your age too much. But it's cool. It's all now, part granted, of the show. You didn't live through this era, no. but you are closer to this era than us. Does it ring realistic in any way, shape, or form? Barely. Uh, oh, and props to your uh, wife, Stu, because my wife made it two <laughs> minutes into this movie. And as she exited the room, all she said was no 14 times <laughs> on the way out the door. She's that right. Was it. She just couldn't do it. But no. She's about to make Bill quit this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> She's questioning my choices in a lot of ways, I got to say. But now she loves Rob, so it works. Okay, but, thank God. So, yeah, I mean, I. I was born in 73, so I was a kid through this time, so my memories are much better of the 80s. But I'm, I remember some of these things, like some of the looks, the hair, the music, the overall, you know, just out cruising for girls and part. Like, I, I think the bare elements of it are probably spot on to what, you know, somebody with no money and no resources would do to pass the time in California on a Saturday. But there is virtual ton of stinkweed in this movie about no. getting stuff right for the vibe i mean it's it was a really strange experience so i i'm with you uh both i think yeah this is a movie that somebody wrote that they had seen a catalog from the 70s from sears and watched a cheech and chong movie and were like you say you say dude a lot and you say bro and everybody's got to have the worst long hair ever and it's the 70s and here's the other thing and this is kind of the opposite side of the Venn diagram that you were talking about, Stu, in that it is like a young kid writing about what they think cool adult kids or just adults or 20-somethings act like. I want to say that this is also someone waxing nostalgic for a time without mm -hmm. realizing what it was actually like to live in that era. It's oh. more like It's like barbecue dude's like dads around a barbecue being like, I remember when we were cruising for this and then well, we got it's the, the happy daysification yeah. of the seventies. Well, but but here's the thing though, almost immediately. So they say that it takes place in the seventies in the, in the crawl at the beginning, but almost immediately that's abandoned because you see modern cars uh -huh. and you see a Michael sign. And so it's like, I, I, they play very fast and loose with when this is supposed to take place. Cause it could be the eighties could be the 90s it's also they're listening yeah. to heavy metal so you know it's all over the place yeah i'll just throw it out there right now this movie feels like an 80s movie more than it, the standard you know tna kind of 80s movie but somebody's tried to make it a 70s movie all the plot beats are there mm -hmm. but it's just not nearly as good because you know normally it's like with her they've gone to a ski resort for the summer and they've got to find out how to get with these girls and usually a lot more moving wacky parts to an 80s movie but this one is real stripped down and so trying to inject it into that setting just falls super flat and that's another thing that i do like uh say i like about this movie but i like movies that take place uh almost like uh in real time so this mm -hmm. this movie takes place in one night um, you know, and we basically see it from beginning to end. Um, and the, you know, as opposed to a movie that takes place years, days, whatever, I like a small story, you know? Sure. Let's, um, let's actually get into some stuff like that. But before I read the back of the box, I just have a quick question. Does anyone know why there's an umlaut over the O in this movie? I think I read, they just thought it was cool. Okay, because it, it feels like what you would write on your Trapper Keeper, right? It's got to be the same reason why the movie starts out like Monty Python and the Holy Grail with its yeah. 15th century Robin Hood type and that weird thunderclap voiceover that starts the whole thing. So Sure. All right, a very high school. I get it. Um, let me just pull out the VHS real quick and read the back of the box. So the Stoned Age. Determined to avoid another night of driving aimlessly around Torrance in the Blue Torpedo, Joe and Hubs set out on a quest for fine chicks. Their paths soon cross with Tack, from whom they learn about a pair of foreign radical chicks hanging out near the Frankie Avalon place. Over Joe's objections, Hubs worms tack out of the deal and the pair take a slow ride towards their destiny. 
Wow. Okay. We got to start with likes. Stu, you had already started talking about certain things you like and the overall idea. Yeah. It's a movie that takes place in one night. I think that's very fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to just read a couple of mine and then we'll come back to yours and Bill and we'll just go round robin here. So Stu said his, I think, and this is, this is something you say after someone's bad local theater play. I know this, but the costumes were great. They, <laughs> That's they, true. They didn't look like they were finely pressed shirts. Like they actually looked worn in. Like people were, even if it was the seventies and kind of eighties, mm-hmm. they look retro and and fit the characters well. Uh, what's something you liked, Bill? Well, I loved the soundtrack. If there's a saving grace in this mm. movie, the biggest one. It's the soundtrack. It the is three of, songs. Oh no, no! Check check yourself before you I rock know, and roll. I wreck know. yourself at the end. Now they they pulled some great stuff. Some of it wasn't made at the time this movie was supposed to be set in, but yeah. it's all classic rock. I mean, I was I'm listening. So I'm like, how how could they do a low budget movie and afford the licensing for one, much less like fifteen classic rock hits? I think I, you answered your own question. Yeah, I think they spent the bulk of the money on the licensing. Well, yeah, and I think it, it, it had a lot to do with what they could do with the with the movie because, like, the one of the the main songs in the in the movie is uh, "Don't Fear the Reaper" by uh, Blue Oyster Cult, you know, and they tried all kinds of different songs to see which ones they could get the rights for, and uh, and that was the one that they could get the rights for. So that's what they built the story around, and it uh, worked. It and they works actually. Really well. Um, and they actually, uh, Blue Oyster Cult shows up in a post-credit scene. <laughs> that was Which cool. Which Tubi cut off for me. Oh, boo Tubi. It yeah. did. I saw it on Tubi and it Well, mine just me. jumped to the next thing. Oh, you got so to hit the button and go back. Yeah, I had to go back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stu, what's something else that you liked about it? Um, I, I, the, the names of, of all the the characters are like bizarre caveman names. <laughs> so it's like you've got Crump, Crump's brother, Tack, the Samoan dude, Hanky or Snotrag, the Buffalo Babes, Mondo Man, Muldoon, and that's just, you know, for starters. Like, yeah. who are, like, who, who ever heard of somebody named Crump? Like, what what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> silly joe with the wonky eye yeah and... that part also totally tracks because mm-hmm. uh, my brothers and sister are they they did grow up they were teenagers in the 70s and early 60s and uh you know i've met all their friends over the years and they're they were largely kind of the you know, they rode motorcycles and hung out in bars and parties and stuff and so i have met people like this i have met guys named psycho and Big Red the Viking and stuff like that. It just, you're like, this couldn't happen anywhere else because this, the 80s was a different way of doing things. You just called everybody a weird bony Bob. <laughs> yeah. And you went on about your business. So that another part that all the names and stuff was great. That really did help kind of bring it back to the, what they said it was supposed to be. I guess one of the things I also liked is that it, I don't know, this seems so hack, but like it did, of course it reminds me of dazed and confused because that's what it's trying to ape. This is the yes. deep impact to, you know, dazed and confuses, uh, Armageddon, right? It's a much smaller store than dazed and confused. Oh, completely. Right. Yeah. Definitely. And a lot less bridge of the nose grabbing. Uh-huh. In this movie. <laughs> yeah. If anything, this movie, only reminded me of days and confused because everybody kept saying it. Yeah, really. Yeah, it says it like right on the front of the box. Yeah, which is which is something I hate. I hate yeah. when the movie self references another movie. It's always like the same. Don't put a movie that's better than your movie on the poster on the wall yeah. in your movie. But not to say that it's better. It's just it's it's a much broader story with days and confused. And this is a much as you said, it's too smaller story. Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. you know, two different things trying to be set in the same place and the two different budgets and, and casts and studios. So I don't think that's a fair comparison, but I do see where it would remind me of something like that. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's 1994. So yeah. <laughs> it's one year later. Yeah. They're, they're trying to do something there, but Bill, what's something else you 
enjoyed about the film? I enjoyed many things about the casting of this movie. I can tell you that there was uh, some of the characters. They're a little too straight out of central casting for me. Mm-hmm. Whereas for, uh, they don't have the what I would call the, I don't know, the dirty look. <laughs> That's 70s when you think about it. A lot of the unkempt, you know, we don't do this. We don't comb our hair. We don't shower. We don't do it, which is fairly bad stereotyping. But like you get some really interesting looks on people. You know, Joe and Hibbs are, they're not Brad Pitt or anything like that. They do look like regular guys. Lainey, the girl that they're crushing on, she looks like she just stepped off a Warren album. So she loses me. She's total 90s glam. The thing is, everybody keeps saying she looks like, the girl on the cover of the Virgin Killers album, which I right. think is the Scorpions. I don't know what they're talking about. It's yeah. very bizarre. This girl should have looked much more like, you know, a, a Twiggy or something like that. Like maybe as far as early Cheryl T. A lot of her <laughs> hair should it should have looked like Jill. Yeah. She would have looked a lot more like Jill, only more made up. It would have made a lot more sense. One thing I, I liked about Jill is that that's China Cantor or uh-huh. Cantner who played Willow Wilson in Home Improvement. Yeah. Wilson's niece. Grace Slick's daughter. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, and Paul Kantner, the guitarist for Jefferson Airplane. There you go. Of course, no Jefferson Airplane songs in the movie. So (laughs) that's a missed opportunity. Uh, In this house, we listen to Starship. (laughs) And then also. uh, Yeah, yeah, please let us know. Uh, Muldoon, uh, the the rich dude is uh, who, who won't let them into the rich boy party is Gary Busey's son, Jake Busey. Yeah, he sure is. Yeah, yeah. And then I also the guy uh, the liquor store is a he's a real that guy character yeah. actor. Um, I can't remember. He was in uh, uh nothing but trouble. That's yep. the only role I can think of. But Taylor the- Negrin yes. is his name. As soon as he came on screen, dancing around, he plays a disco loving liquor store clerk mm-hmm. and he's just jiving to the music and grooving away as he's it's dancing awesome. as soon as i i was like oh yes movie you you brought me back in because <laughs> you throw me a that guy or a that girl and he's one of them but i know him as the pizza delivery guy from fast times at richmond high wow mm. now there's a connection because this so. is almost like uh in that same vein <laughs> he's great he's absolutely great <laughs> Uh, we also know him from Loser. He's the photographer in Loser. You, you, we all remember Loser, the Jason Biggs classic. Sure. So, <laughs> I just got uh, the Biggs but, fan letter the other day. So this is what yeah, they referenced. Exactly. Uh, so let's now, Stu. You might yes. have you might have more likes, and I'm opening that door. But if you are cool. ready, if you are ready to move on to dislikes, let's do it. Okay. Um, I think we all kind of have this note, so I'll just say it and we can go around the table. The movie is incredibly misogynistic and homophobic. Yes. Which we are mid, like what, third wave gay panic 1994. So. I mean, I can remember being like 16 years old and being shocked by this and not, and and that was in the mid nineties. So yeah, you know. The <laughs> amount of times they used like the F word, and uh, I thought that Hubs, like the turn was going to be that Hubs was going to be closeted and at the end discover that he was actually homosexual. Like that's no. how intense it was that I was like, oh, this is so over the top that it's got to be for a reason. No, and this is not- a. This is a story of Joe's actualization. Hubs doesn't, I don't think he learns anything along no. the way. No. And <laughs> no. we can talk more about Joe in a second. Sure. Because I also have a note on his actualization in this film because, wow, I, I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> um, but it is crazy how much women are trophies, of course, when you're cruising for chicks, right? But that's, like. Yeah, that's a whole that movie. The, and that the women are also portrayed as if, like, yeah, that's what we are. Like, get me the alcohol and I go crazy, you know? Like, they don't have, like, Jill has some, but she also still ends up making out with hubs, which is actually kind of true to form, too. You know, like, at least in that sense, it's like, yeah, 
you know, ladies like making out just as much as dudes do. I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely her choice. I mean, she does choose for that to happen. All of the all of them do, but at the same time, this was all written by men. Yeah. So no, they didn't. <laughs> this was written for them to do. Yeah, that's very true. The uh, thing about Jill's turn at the end when she's making out with Hubs is I think there probably had to be one person on this writing staff who has run up against the thing. And this is just a thing that happens with kids, especially at that time, is, you know, if if a girl likes you and you like her, but you don't move fast enough, that's the old, well, you know, she just went and got somebody else to try and get your to. Like, it's not a good move, and it's not something restricted to any one sex or another. But when this these kind of movies, it generally can be, which the way Jill is played, which is very earnest, it's kind of when she gives the explanation at the end of why she did what she did, like, well, you just didn't move fast enough. It's like, it was relatable, but it was still like, but you still went with this dude. But also, like, come on. obviously written from a male perspective. 100%. Like, 100%. There um, is no reasoning. It's like, oh, because another guy didn't make a move, I had to make out with this yeah, guy. Yeah, I wasn't fulfilled by you. Therefore, I'm going to get with this other guy and then find some way for you to figure it out. Like, I need, she needs Joe to be happy. And it's like, that's just, uh, it's it's gross. But, but it is a true life move that you do recognize. It's true. But I mean, stepping back, like the whole the whole idea of the movie is if you know where chicks are and you show up at their door they belong to you and no one else can take them away and if if other people show up then it's going to be a fight (laughs) i was here first yeah Yeah, i mean if this movie had been a slasher flick where when they find the chicks they kill them and hang them on their trophy wall i think it would have made more sense but it is and the thing is i have one big question about that this is southern california Mm -hmm. there's got to be more than two girls in southern california it's just the way they talk. Have you seen any girls? There's a girl around. I was like, that's impossible. Maybe they're all hiding from these it's crazy just, men. Yeah, it's just these burnout losers that, that yeah. the girls are hiding from. That and yeah. if the girl is not categorized as, you know, these chicks are down and ready to party, i.e., these are girls who are going to hopefully say yes to any man who gets in their field of vision first, uh-huh. then it makes sense why they're saying it. It's just like, it's that other, it's ridiculous. I mean, so it's 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 an unbelievable fourteen year old mentality, like Stu said. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Stu, what's what's another point you'd like to make in this uh, check mark against the film? Well, I mean, there are so many terrible, terrible lines. Terrible lines. <laughs> um, let's. I mean, I'll try and do some. Like, I've got some of them written down that don't have uh, you know straight out cussing in them, but I love the one. It's a love song, and it doesn't even use the word poontang. Like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? And that's so, that's something Jill says. And how many or, songs use the word poontang? Yeah. For that, real. Like, agent. Yeah. In Cat Scratch Fever. Um, Wang dang. There's a part where she's like, you know... Um, there, uh, Jill and uh, and Lainey are upstairs, and they're talking, and, she, and Lainey says something like, uh, what do you think they're downstairs peeing in the ice trays? And it cuts to Joe and Hubs peeing in the ice trays. What? <laughs> like, who's ever done that? Like, that's bizarre. It doesn't even sound like a, a prank. <laughs> like a, that yeah. I've ever... All I could think of was like, this is a Beavis and Butthead moment. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is, you've, you're yeah, trying to Beavis adapt a shock. Yeah, you're trying to adapt a shock moment into this thing. So that's that yeah. weird that's the weird ping pong ball effect that this dialogue and their actions is like for one second, the, that character seems okay. At least you seem like a person who could exist in the real world. And then boom, that happens. It's like, my <laughs> God, man, what is going on? Um, another thing I don't like, I mean, I, this should be the number one thing is it's called the stoned age and they don't really smoke weed at all in the entire <laughs> movie. There's one scene where they smoke some skank weed out of a can, like a beer can. And yeah. it causes them to throw up or hork, as the movie says. <laughs> I guess I heard that. I'm like, what in this is she talking about? And then it was like, oh, we're going to go onomatopoeia on this movie too. Yeah. That's going to be great. God, Bill, what is, have we 
is there there's got to be more right do you have <laughs> well this? i have one that's that is actually like a production thing that kind of oh bugs wow me. i don't know it, a lot of this film takes place in this suburban neighborhood where they go to the house and they find these two girls and then they go uh -huh. a few other places they go to another house and they're back and forth but it really takes place in this kind of one block area for uh -huh. a good chunk of the movie and this neighborhood is really clean and really well lit and not particularly 70s looking but yeah, and I'm, this is some leftover stuff in this house, which works. I lived in this house for many years. It looked like this, so I get it. But because of that, it it makes it not look like the film it's trying to be. Again, it's not a '70s look, and it looks more like an episode of The Brady Bunch than a teenage <laughs> '70s party movie. Like Carol and Mike are going to come home at any moment, and you kids, what's going on? It just really. I know they had, but they had a low budget. So I'm giving them a bit of a, a slide on this. They could only go so many places. They did find some places that looked run down, which could pass for any time. Mm -hmm. But I wish they had done anything. I wish they had just gone to a thrift store and found some blacklight posters or something that looked more 70s to combat the clean look of the actors and the grunge look of the 90s stuff and just really at least sold it. Like the car, the blue torpedo is great. You know, yeah. it's completely yeah. over the top, but it works. It looks like it's designed by a 14-year-old. Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, like, like, it has, like, a skull with a snake on it on, on one side, and they've got, like, beer cans shoved into the grill. Um, yeah, it's it's a complete and utter Petri dish of, of disgust. Yeah. <laughs> Roll on four wheels. <laughs> and it's terrible. But it sets the tone for what these two guys are. So the rest of the time, when I'm watching them in this bright light and this guy's suburban living room, None of this makes any, they look like they're dressing up for Halloween mm -hmm. to go yeah. and it breaks what little bit of suspense I've had. So I wish they had found at least a house that was a little more like something you would have seen back then for where the girls were. And then when they go to Jake Busey's house, that's fine. That it's supposed to be in a nicer neighborhood and all that kind of stuff. And then it would have worked better for me. Mm -hmm. Well, are we good on this portion? Can we move on to amusing moments? Let's Absolutely. do it. Okay. I'll start us off again. Just continue the pattern. Here's what I got. I am surprised that I'm about to say this, guys. <laughs> but the only person I can, like, relate with or call the, quote, good guy of the movie is the cop. Like, yeah. <laughs> he just wants to do his job. He doesn't want to come off as a jerk cop. He just wants to be like, hey, I'm relatable. I understand that, like, you guys want to drink. I used to party all the time, but my job is to make sure underage kids don't drink or party too loud. Like, I, when I'm relating with the cop in the movie, like, everyone else really sucks. He lets them go every time, too. Every time. Every time he lets them off with a warning. Like, they break into a warehouse full of beer. And he yeah. lets them go. Yeah. He just wants them to know that they're not supposed to commit crimes. <laughs> he has subscribed to the Roscoe P. Coltrane School of Law, which is if you can evade me long enough to get home, that law no longer counts. Your crime is forgiven. You are allowed to go back to town and try to commit more crime. And I also like that, that honestly... <laughs> He looks the exact same age as yeah. John Hubs. Yep. Like, and they not... try to shoot him from low angles, too, to make him yeah. look bigger. Yeah. Everyone in this movie except Jake Busey is at least 28 to 35 years old. <laughs> yes. Once they're, again. They're trying to play like 15, 18. Yeah. Yeah. When they're in the, when they're in the store with Taylor Negrin and he's going to cart him and they're like, are you, what are you, underage kids aren't running alcohol? It's like. Dude, they're old as you are. Yeah. You probably went to school with both of these guys. Put on a wig and you are Joe yeah. in this movie. I, I kept waiting for the swerve with him. I kept waiting for him to be the character of like, you know, you can't have that weed. Like he would take their stuff. Like if he'd taken their weed and then he'd taken their beer and he'd taken, like he would have been a villain, but he's not. He's just like, I think he's almost like he's bored. Like he's like, I don't know. They're not they're not giving me a challenge. So he just keeps tossing them back like a fish. Yeah. Stu, question for you. Do you think that if this movie had a bit more of a budget, um it feels like it's set up because I know you're um you big into film and mm -hmm. it feels like this uh 
movie is set up to give us flashbacks to complete the jokes of the cops' different nicknames. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, that's all I needed to know. Uh, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> what about you, Bill? Did you get that vibe? Because I felt like it would do like this slow zoom in on him and no, then it wouldn't go anywhere. I didn't get that vibe. Every time he started to tell a story, I got Charlton Heston. The, I once knew a girl on Gordon Street from Wayne's World. <laughs> like he's monologuing to really kind of himself is who he's yeah. talking to about how, yeah. I used to like to have a good time, you know, and I kind of wish I could like these kids, but I'm a cop now. So, you know, give me your weed and I don't want to do this report. So just go. Uh, all right. Well, Stu, what's another amusing moment you liked in this? Well, uh, Joe's uh, whole story arc. Uh, I mean, can we talk about that? The Sure. Yes. The, the blue eye. So Joe, um, he's kind of the more subordinate of the duo. Sure. And uh, he has this story that he keeps telling everybody about how he went to a Blue Oyster, a Blue Oyster Cult concert, and a laser beam hit him in the forehead. And in, at one point, we actually have a flashback to this moment where, like, his he knows it means something, but he doesn't know what it means. Yeah. And we get a full fledged parody of 2001: A Space Odyssey. Although I don't know that they really understood the movie i think they just yeah. it's just the visuals basically where he sees himself as an old man and uh and then he and then he's a child floating in space and there's a giant blue eye that he's been talking about the whole movie yep and this is like the moment i guess when he realizes that he needs to to be a jerk to everybody if he's going to live in this universe of of horrible people like he that's what he needs to become a horrible person i guess i I feel I, like that's what the me- that I feel like that was the 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 lesson that this movie is trying to teach us. And I think when I think to this fourteen year old that wrote this movie, um, or this barbecue dad, whichever one it is, um, I think they're trying to tell us that like confidence is king, and if you're mm-hmm. just more confident, you will be able to get what you want. But it doesn't come off that way. What it comes off is like, yeah, if you're a dick, you can like exert more power. But really, like, there's no sympathy for Joe in no. this movie, not at all. No, like, no. even when he does have his revelation, he gets he gets beaten up by literally every person in this movie. At some point, every single person like punches him in the nuts or punches him in the face. Yeah, and, and he, then he punches Hubs at the end, and it's yeah, like, he are, he basically gets stoned. In front yeah. of the house. That's the only stoning that really happens in this movie. <laughs> yeah. He's pelted with cans of Ox 45 as if yeah. we don't know what you're supposed to be, beer company. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, what about you? Any sort of amusement? It, Yeah, it, a big one. But I do want to say the 2001 moment when it happened, I felt like, now movie, now you're going to go full naked gun on me. Is this where we're going with this one? <laughs> and I, 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 t- I want to put... I want to put a, a big deep spin on this because we're having fun with it, even if I don't know if I really believe it. But I just want to feel like this is Joe's moment of the, the universe telling him, look, man, you just can't be a worm. Uh-huh. You got you to gotta come full circle. And he does. He comes full circle. He becomes all the space baby. And he's back to square one. He's fulfilled his journey. So He's but, driving but, that blue bl- torpedo. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But my amusing moment was at the, also... At the very end, and it's another, it's another that guy moment. When Jill's dad comes home, it turns out to be the actor David Grow. Now, you want to talk that guy status? This guy, across the board, love him. I've seen him in so many things on my television screen. It just the list of shows. Robbie's been in Baywatch. You know, Baywatch Nights. Oh, he's wow. been in Baywatch regular. He was on. He's been in Renegade, Murder She Wrote. Oh, hell yeah. Jag, VIP, Melrose. He's just everywhere from the 70s to the 80s. But he also played in a two hour episode of Buck Rogers in the 25th century where he got <laughs> oh, in a fist fight yeah. as Major Duke Denton. And when I saw him show up on the lawn, just punching the hell out of all these 35 year old teenagers <laughs> who were waiting in line <laughs> to get punched. Oh, they, yeah, they That's just lined up. 
like ducks in a shooting gallery and he is just slow punching and slow kicking <laughs> his way through this crowd. And when I saw him I'm like, Oh movie, God love you. Chef's kiss at the end. Uh, you're I'm in baby. I'm in all the way. It was great. And it, the whole exchange with him and Joe, and he's just, he's the perfect choice at this point in time to be that dad who has right. come home and find his best chair filled with weird puke <laughs> out of a, out of the exorcist and tube. It's, what is the relationship going on? Like, I, it's very, like, uh, so Lainey is like his girlfriend or is Jill's oh, he, friend? Or? Yeah, he's he's just skeeving on her. That He's yeah. absolutely skeeving on Lainey. Yeah. And doing that sort of like excuse ridden thing, but like it's very American beauty situation going on here. She's just staying with them for some yeah. reason. And she yeah. knows it. I mean, it's clear that she knows it. Well, she it, which says is, it earlier. Yeah, on. she yeah. does. And that, you know, that circles back to the whole, everybody in here has just got character flaws that are so deep. So well, very, that, very that deep. just quickly reminds me, you guys, you remember how you, you can just like sometimes remember things that like you would never remember unless you're, you're, you're get that spark. Uh-huh. And this specifically, I remember being in the car, listening to the radio, like I was not old enough to drive or wasn't driving at this point, but it was when American Beauty came out, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, it's very controversial. All of the things in the movie, it seems tame in comparison now because it was just like shock value and Kevin Spacey. But Kevin Spacey's character, yeah, has a crush on his daughter's friend in high school. Mm-hmm. And much like in this movie. And I remember someone in the movie, a director or a producer or someone, they were like retelling the story of why that's in the movie. And they're like nonchalantly saying like, well, yeah, I was talking to my friend. I was worried about it. But they were like, haven't you ever like had one of your daughter's friends come over and been attracted to her? Like everyone feels that way. You're, just no, like, You're saying no, this no. on the fucking radio, dude. No. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Oh, you've made a leap, a very bad leap in logic, sir. And like trying to pass it off as some sort of relatable content. No. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, Stu, anything else you'd like to say before we rate this thing? Um, it's... It's a not a good funny a movie. I would say it's not even really a funny movie. (laughs) Or it's not... At least it's not intentionally funny. Um, yeah. So I can't, uh, you know, uh, but it is, it is interesting. There's so much, it, there's a lot of creativity going on. There's a lot of, uh, it ha- it seems like it had a big ambition, <laughs> a lot of, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Bill, how do we rate these movies? Well, for these movies, we have a special rating system. If you went into your video store back in the day, there was usually a big rack of movies somewhere. And they would say something like five nights for a dollar. You could rent these movies for a buck and keep them for five nights if you wanted to. It was a great value if the movie was worth watching for that long. So what we do is we apply that to these movies. It's applied to this movie. This rating doesn't carry over to any other movies based solely on what you see on the screen. If you've gone to your store, you've rented the Stone Age, you've got it available to you for five nights how long are you going to keep this movie bill why don't you go first and then i'll go and Stu can end it for us i like that we always like to finish with the guests because this is Stu's fault i mean privilege (laughs) sorry (laughs) so the stoned age uh for me this is definitely a one night movie um it's a movie that says it's from the 70s. It comes off to me as a lot more 80s, and it misses the mark in a lot of things, the cars, the houses, the clothes. It's a low-budget movie, and so I can give it a lot of passes for things. We all see things where, like, it's not a spaceship, it's a warehouse. I get it. It's not your fault. That's <laughs> what you can do with it. But there's just some things in it. For one, it, this movie feels like it takes forever. I love hmm. that it's a self-contained story, and it's a small story, and they stick to it. Everything in it happens that is a natural progression. Mm-hmm. I just don't like the story very much. If this had been some kind of, you know, if the girls had been mythical and they spent the night chasing them all over town, you know, that might've added a little more to it. There could have been something to do with it, but there's just not a lot to work with. And as we've said, the characters are vastly irredeemable in almost every way. Even the best one 
still not that great. They've all got some kind of, if not many, shattering character flaws. It does the thing at the end where Frankie Avalon shows up. It's like, why did you make a 60s beach blanket bingo reference in your 70s throwback movie that was filmed in the 90s? So he's 20 years too old, which I found out that was they could get. Yeah, that was the whole reason. Yeah, I found it was supposed to be William Shatner or Adam West, Batman. Wow. Should have been Adam West. Yeah, but I'm glad it wasn't. I'm glad it was neither (laughs) one of these. So uh, it's just a weird, weird movie. I I definitely would have watched it clear through the one night, but it doesn't have anything in it that's going to bring me back. Even if this movie had set up a a line of apparent trilogies like they wanted to do, a la maybe a Clerks or something like that. Wow. Which is what I've read. But I give them credit. You know, they had a story. And they told it, and they told it probably as best they could, but their best really isn't that good. So I'm going to take it back the next day, and I'm not going to be ashamed about it, but when they ask me if I liked it, I'm just going to go, eh, and I'm going to hand it over to the store clerk. So that's my take on it. What about you, Robs? Well, you'd never want to offend the store clerk. No. they, they You just can't do it. I Here's the thing. Much like the costumes comment I made earlier in today's episode, it's shot competently. Like, it doesn't look like a low-budget, poorly made film. It does not look like a student film. You know, it doesn't look like shit. It looks like a professionally made movie, shot on film, lit correctly, edited for you know, for poor script, poor characters, whatever, it's still made well. Like it's like a vase that can hold flowers. I would just never put it inside of my house, you know. Um, so that it does have something going for it. It it's good in that sense. It's just not a good film. No. <laughs> like I I have to, <laughs> you know, I I think back to whenever. You know, like a lot of high school kids like Requiem for a Dream, right? Mm. But yeah. when you start to watch that later on in life, you're like, all of these characters are terrible. Like, they suck. Like, why do I give a shit? And there is a time and a place for movies that have non-redeemable characters, and I get that. But... This film also has that and a bad story. (laughs) And so it's hard to go on with it. And if I were to have rented this movie in the 90s, I probably would have kept it for two nights because there is a scene that's a little bit risque and I would have been in my (laughs) middle school years. But as it is now, I'm going to probably be returning this like when I rented it for the first time in 1994 and got too scared right as the sheets revealed the clown and decided to take it back and get Wayne's World. So this would be a half-day rental for me. I'd take it back and I'd rent Wayne's World instead. (laughs) Uh, Stu, take us home. Well, I'd have to say, like, and I did rent this from Blockbuster, and I think I did keep it for a couple of days, because after I watched it, I felt like I had to show it to somebody, (laughs) because I had to talk about it with somebody, which is the reason why I I brought it to you guys, because this is the kind Mm -hmm. of movie that deserves to be, it needs to be dissected, because there's some serious problems, some serious issues, some serious things that need to be figured out uh, about what what was on the mind of the writer and the director Absolutely. and and w- is this supposed to be funny is this not supposed to be funny or did, you know like there's so many there's so much going on like that it's the, it's the kind of bad movie that that needs to be shared so yes. however many days it takes to share it with somebody else <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's great well Thank you for bringing it to our attention because it is worthy of a watch for all of the reasons you said. Like there are certain movies that just aren't, that are a waste of time. And I did not consider this a waste of time because it is made for such a fun conversation. And much like 
a lot of the episodes of Piloting Error. Now, can you <laughs> tell our audience about Piloting Error? You know, Joe has given us the, we watch pilots, we dissect yeah. them, whatever. But I want to hear a little bit more. I want to hear the stew side of this, the genesis, and then maybe give us an episode you think would be good to start our sure. audience to start with. Uh, so Piloting Error is a comedy podcast. I think that's for first and foremost, we watch pilots, but the whole point is to to bring all of the entertainment and comedy that we can out of these TV pilots. Uh, and and they're not just not just that they're pilots, but they're abandoned. They're up online. They've been online some of them for more than ten years. Um, they've got maybe a few thousand views, um, and it's it's fascinating that you know this was a lot of them were on television at some point. People spend a lot of money on them. They've got people in them who are relatively famous, sometimes more than others. Um, they're not, but they're also not entertaining in a way that like normal media is. So like, there's no reason for anybody to watch them. So they've just sort of been abandoned on the internet. Uh, and it's like it's free media basically that we can take and, and uh, sort of, use the entire buffalo if you will to create comedy um yeah, i and love it that is that is what piloting error is uh and i i would say i don't you, you know don't don't listen to it uh don't come to, uh, if you necessarily if you're a television fan or you're wanting something about pilots uh we don't expect anybody to actually even watch any of the pilots that we talk about we we spoil them completely so uh you know it's it's more of uh, I like to I like to compare it to car talk. You guys remember mm. car talk on NPR? Oh it's, yeah. It was like these guys are clever. I don't really care about cars. I'm just here to listen to them laugh. And that's yeah. what piloting error really is. It's two guys that that think they're clever and uh, hopefully uh, the and, and we laugh a lot. <laughs> and hopefully our <laughs> laughter will inspire you to laugh as well. It one hundred percent does. I have listen to the show you've been kind enough to have us on it and it falls right into my wheelhouse of things especially things back in the day when they did pilots and this was network tv and mm-hmm. it's it's fun to for you guys to dig into them and if you like television or enjoy the process of it listen to piloting error because it's great to sit and go why in the world would anybody want to make a tv version of blazing saddles but yet they tried <laughs> And let's look at it in this spectacular glory, which is the episode yes. I desperately want to do with you guys. So that's yeah, a little bit of self-promotion definitely. there. So well, yeah, your your show is great. It's a wonderful conversation. Thank and you. if you're into any, especially the the offshoot TV of the day that we used to watch, it's fun to revisit it back, especially with, I'll say, uh, with you guys in your newer eyes, because those of us who were there the first time around look at it one way. So when people your age, Rob's age, are like, hmm, this is an odd <laughs> choice for a human adult to make. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Dinosaurs well, roam the earth. Yeah. Uh, Bill and I did Generation X, the yes. X-Men offshoot pilot failed. Uh, I had done so There Goes fun. the Neighborhood, which uh-huh. was a, a wild, wild film about the unhoused. Uh, <laughs> and then if there's an episode that I know hard to believe that Bill and I are not on that people might want to listen to. What would you suggest as a good starting point, Stu? You know, um, one that doesn't get a lot of love is our episode Cows, our episode oh. number 15, which was a, an Eddie Izzard project uh, where he had p- cow people basically try and rise up through British society. Um, I love it. Very strange. Very strange. Oh, well, Stu, thanks for joining us today. Thank you uh, for having me. Yeah, Bill, I'm going to run through the credits real quick. I got to thank Mrs. Colombo for listening to these episodes and making sure we don't sound too dumb. I want to thank Jothan for our show art, Rob Adler for joining the team, Draxium, Dr. Z for our theme music. It's all great. And if you'd like to support this show, you probably heard a bumper at the beginning of this episode of how you can do that in the future. But you can also take a look at our show notes and we will have links to everything you can do to say, hey, I really like you dudes. And we'll put a link to Piloting Error in there so that you can just easily navigate in your podcast app over to our boys at Piloting Error. Can't wait to see ya. Yeah, definitely. And with that, Bill, Stu, 
It's time to go home. Goodbye. 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 Looking for your next audio binge? Bridge Burner is an independent podcast collective with all types of shows guaranteed to bring you hours of enjoyment. Podcasts like Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. On Reenacted, hosts Robert and Crystal watch and discuss the classic episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. They don't take themselves or the program seriously. They're just a couple of dummies who love Unsolved Mysteries. Or try Piloting Error, a crash course in abandoned media. Hosts Joe and Stu and guests walk scene by scene through television pilots that were aired but never picked up for series. It's a time capsule of the bizarre. Maybe you'll enjoy Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure, where hosts Bill and Rob find the joy in watching a lackluster series of films like Predator or pre-MCU Marvel films. Hey, you could even check out The Bachelor Masters, a non-corporate show about the Bachelor franchise. What does the Bachelor series say about society? This podcast will let you know. If these shows sound fun, then you'll definitely enjoy Pumpkin Spice Podcast, a seasonal treat where comedy and horror movies meet all year long. But wait, there's more. Bridgeburner also has access to two Mike Sachs exclusives, Randy, the full and complete audio memoir of The Amazing Life and Times of Randy S., and Passing on the Right, both hilarious pieces of audio fiction created by the award-winning writer Mike Sachs. If you have a podcast that you think would fit with the Bridgeburner Collective, reach out to any of these shows, and they'll let you know how to join. Remember, five stars are our favorite, we love reviews, and also, share every single one of these podcasts in your group chat. It's Bridgeburner, and you can see more at bridgeburner.page.